Let's look to the Lord in prayer. And so, Father, you are the sovereign one, and you are good. And now we're praying that very profoundly you speak to us at our points of need. Some of us deal with this whole matter of guiding people through decisions pertaining to abortion on a regular basis. For others, it might seem to be a distant thought that doesn't normally intersect with our daily routines. But it does, because it is a national phenomenon, it is a global phenomenon, it is a local phenomenon, and we need to address this biblically and wisely for your glory. Warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills, as again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. And what I want to do with you now is to explore this matter in relationship to Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, we have this extraordinary unfolding of God's sovereign purposes because poetically and yet biologically, you will see a connection between verse 1 and verse 9 where it begins and ends in the very same manner. It's powerful. And so what I want to do with you now is we're looking at this whole matter of the sanctity of human life is to draw three significant emphases, if you will. And the first comes out of verses 1 and 2, that is you and I, as we're considering the sanctity of human life this morning, uh, special emphasis needs to first of all be placed upon the sovereignty of God. And here's where it begins. Verse 1. O Lord, our Lord. Notice that it's capital L-O-R-D in the first. It is small L-O-R-D in the second. Capital L-O-R-D in the first. Why? It's because that's the relational name for God. It's the covenantal name for God. If you are involved in the dialogue with people that are grappling with the issue of abortion, very important at the onset that you develop a sense of the relational, the sense of the covenantal. God cares. God is involved. Where you introduce God into the conversation, you have to do what I sometimes refer to as you've got to choose your on-ramp as to where you bring God into the conversation. But when you are counseling an individual, it's critically important. You pick up the phone, as I have to do on a regular basis, get involved, or as I did on radio programs through the years, on a regular basis. I had to start off with, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, Lord is capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, that's the Jehovah, that is the personal covenantal name for God. And then you drop the small caps, don't you? Lord. But it's personal, yet it's also relational. It's connected. You and me, it's community. It's our Lord. It's Adonai, Hebrew second name for God. But now you pull that together, and notice what he has to say with regard to himself at this point. It's fascinating. How majestic is your name in all the earth? When you view God as your starting point, when you're counseling people, when you're guiding people, what you've got to bear in mind is that the creator is God, not the parent. 
God is the source of life. Parents are the means of life. And so now you take the twofold, O Lord, our Lord. Notice how balanced this is. O, our, uppercase, lowercase. This is brilliant. And now he connects the next for you. How majestic is your name, not my name, your name in all the earth. Now, when you are dealing with the majesty of God, you're dealing with the authority of God. Because majesty entails authority. And whether it be medical ethics, legal ethics, or whatever, the ultimate issue is who says the issue in the whole matter of abortion is not sexuality. The issue in abortion is authority. Does the mother have say? Does the father have say? Do the parents, grandparents have say? Does the government have say, such as in China? Or does God have ultimate say? Because the dilemma in ethics is the dilemma of the who says. Who has authority? Now notice with me here, at the very onset, we're not talking democracy. We're talking global monarchy. We're talking about the sovereign king. So then, we are dealing with God. Your starting point, very frankly, is not even the baby. Your starting point is God. And so determine your starting point day in, day out, first thing in the morning, last thing in the evening, how majestic, how authoritative is your name. I'm at Wheaton College. I'm coming off the baseball field, and I'm dripping wet. As I walk into a particular dorm, there's these artists, and they've got this incredible canvas that they're painting, and it's, it's spread out, you see. And um, the head of the, the group involved in the painting uh, starts motioning for me to come over. And so I start heading their way, and she shouts, Gary, what do you think? Now, folks, it's abstract art. I was a biochemistry major, man. I'm helpless here. And she wants to know, what do I think? And so you start walking around this canvas, and my problem here at this point was, I don't know top from bottom. Where do I stand to carry on a decent conversation with her and give her proper respect? So I'm looking at this canvas, and it's spread out on the floor, and I say, yeah, it's beautiful, but um, it's missing one thing. She seems troubled. I said, now, typically, from what I understand, artists print their name in the lower right-hand corner. You need to put your, your signature in the lower right-hand corner. And so she signs her name in the lower right-hand corner, and I'm standing there, and I say, oh, this is, it makes sense. Now, what you've got and I've got to do is to understand the significance of the name of God. What a wonderful name you just got done singing. What a beautiful name. God was involved in the naming of Jesus. Jesus means God is our salvation, you see. And so now, what you and I see is that there is something authoritative about this name. 
and that resonates. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So you're pondering the significance of the authority, the medical ethics involved here. Recently, in our current presidential administration, there has been quietly established a band of scientists employed by the National Institutes of Health from acquiring a new fetal, human fetal tissue for research. Opponents to this view this as impeding necessary medical research. Those that hold to the sanctity of human life view this as a much-needed move to protect the unborn. And so the Congressional Energy and Commerce Committee formed a panel to investigate human fetal tissue research. And here's what's fascinating to me. The panel's investigators found that the overwhelming majority of current studies do not require fetal tissue, including the studies of the Zika virus. Molecular and cell biologist Tara Sandra Lee says ethical standards must always forbid the exploitation of one group over another. Now, we are getting back then to the whole issue of who has authority, even over the boundaries of the scientific community. What's in and what's out of bounds, as we might put it in football terms. Well, what God has said at this point is that the boundless one, the sovereign, has gone on to establish his glory above the heavens. Now, you're still in verse 1 with me, aren't you? And in verse 1, you and I have learned that the word for glory means heavy, which means you don't take God lightly, which means then that even in the cultural debate of today, regarding the sanctity of human life, the pro-lifer has got to keep in mind the fact we cannot take God lightly in the midst of all this. Which on-ramp do I choose to begin to draw interest in the fact that you've got a personal, relational God on your hands? And I had to think about that when I was doing a re my radio program years ago back in Pennsylvania, and I had a particular hostile caller who was opposing the idea of the sanctity of human life and was deeply committed to the use of fetal tissues and so on for scientific research and the likes. And so I allowed the person to continue on, fascinated, allowing for their, their, their thinking to get drawn out. You have to choose your words wisely when you're on the air. And so I waited for my opportunity, and I simply put, did it in the form of a question. Have you pondered the fact that you are not dealing with potential life, but rather life with potential? And she hung up. But there were a host of people in West Virginia Eastern Ohio, and Western Pennsylvania listening in. And you should have heard the phone calls, and the lines just lit up. Now, it's critically important at this point to be able to understand what we're dealing with here. It is God who has set his glory above the heavens. 
Once you have got your arms around verse 1, you're with me now as you move into verse 2. We're out of the mouth of babies and infants. You've established strength. Jesus understood that. There was an issue of authority on his hands as well. He had been speaking, he had been teaching, he had been healing. And now the chief priests and the scribes in Matthew chapter 21 are indignant, we are told, and they said to him, Do you hear? Do you hear these children? They're crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus is classic. Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Which got Rick Santorum thinking. Because in a congressional debate, full scale out in the floors of the Senate, the give and the take with regard to a bill pertaining to the sanctity of human life was being promoted, addressed by those that hold to the sanctity of life and opposed by those who were, who were in adamant, adamant opposition to it. And as the pro-life movement was sitting at the edge of their feet, seats in the balcony, and there was this intense back and forth on the Senate floor, there was a pause in the action. There was a quietness that filled the building. And then lo and behold, from the balcony, a baby cried. God's sovereign timing. God will position you in some very unique, timely ways to get involved in conversations you probably never thought you'd be involved with. To be able to address issues that require you to be able to think ethically, but it's got to involve biblical ethics. Have you pondered the fact that people don't talk about the whole notion of one who's carrying child, she's with child anymore. Instead, they'll say she's pregnant. But few of us hear someone say she's with child. But then there's Matthew who informs us now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, you see. Personhood and child, and personhood is a political hot button right now in the ethical give and take in the culture of today. You tie it to the whole idea of being made in the image of God. Root it, furthermore, in the fact two natures in one person, there's Jesus in an embryonic form. Mary is with child, two natures in one person, so that this one within the womb will come outside the womb to go to the cross to die for your sins and mine, and that's how relational your God is. But you know what also interests me? When I do a study of both the Hebrew and the Older Testament and the Greek and the Newer Testament, there is no major distinction at all made between the before and the after pertaining to the word child. In the Hebrew, the word yelad, 
such as in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, pertains not only to the one within the womb, but also the one outside the womb. Have you pondered that when Jesus, within the womb of Mary, was brought before, you see, Elizabeth, who was carrying John the Baptist, John the Baptist leaped for joy within the womb of Elizabeth. Have you considered then the spiritual awareness within the womb and the alertness within the womb of external stimuli, the ultimate stimulus, the one Messiah, Jesus Christ? And I was pondering that furthermore and reading in one of my science journals in the past days about incredible auditory uh, distinctiveness, that within the womb a child is able to maintain, to be able to discern one voice from another. Fascinating. Yelled. Brefas. And so now you look at the various ministries that we are doing in a very comprehensive way, where we're dealing with both before birth and after birth. And so you've got Anchor of Hope represented here who are cutting edge in dealing with before birth issues. Brefas, yell it. After birth, we've got baby care. What do we do for the person who is underprivileged and struggling with such matters? Concerned with adoption? Got that one covered. Interested, furthermore, and uh, in matters of foster care, you got that one covered. In other words, what we're doing is, with this congregation, I want us to be a cutting edge and having an overall comprehensive approach to life, both before and after, so no one can look at us and simply say, you're single-issue people. No, we are comprehensive-issue people. We take the sum total of the reality of what life entails because within the womb, that embryo, two natures in one person, Jesus Christ, was already positioned by God within the prophetic statements eight centuries prior to Mary entering into Bethlehem. There, there we find now the strategies unfolding and then Jesus makes his way to that cross and you connect Bethlehem to Calvary. But what you're doing is you are making connections as well as making distinctions. Notice in your insert, we've made distinctions between the skeletal, the muscular, the cardiovascular, the digestive, and on and on we go. Notice the complexities here of biology, but you need a theology to shape your biology, don't you? Because in our culture, the pew form will take its latest poll of what percentage of people believe in something with regard to abortion and so on. But it's important for the Christian in particular to understand and make a distinction between the is and the ought. Each and every generation of the Israelites in the Older Testament would see a shift in their thinking. They might be closer to God in one generation, hold a higher level of morality, and the next generation lesser so. There is also a geographic distinction. The tribes to the north were prone to be more permissive into spiritualities than the tribes to the south. And I was struck by that in Israel. Because it's very bipolar, you've got Tel Aviv on one side, very secular, secularism, and on the other hand, there's Jerusalem, very religionism. And do you realize, do you realize that in 2014, the Jewish Telegraphic Agency declared Israel's abortion laws among 
the most permissive in the world? And so many people try to define Israel by Jerusalem. But you see, Israel also has Tel Aviv, and I've walked around Tel Aviv. And what strikes me here is that we've got a very bipolar culture in the States, but we have one in Israel, and it's globally as well. And so they deal with these issues, say, in Ireland. They're dealing with these issues right now in Australia. As I look at some of the political issues, I'm looking at right now in Belgium. And through it all, what we need to be able to do is to determine our starting point, what I call our on-ramp for effective conversation, where we are talking about not potential life, but life with potential. And so we need a principal discussion that takes into account yelled, that takes into account the whole matter breakfast before the child is born and after the child is born, you're with child. You're bringing life into the discussions of life. And so now, there you have verses 1 and 2. You're making your distinctions. You're making your connections. Two aspects of healthy wisdom found in the way in which we live our lives. But once you're dealing with the sovereignty of God in verse 1 and verse 2, where that Rick Santorum moment is such that out of the mouth of babies and infants, there's that cry in the moment of silence in the Senate chambers, you've established strength. It means then that if you're guiding people, you can rely upon God's strength. You have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger, which I've had to do repeatedly in my radio programs through the years, to be able to just simply pray in the midst of the conversations. Okay, Lord, this one's yours. Speak to that person who's challenging this moment. And God breaks in. And so now there's the sovereignty of God found in verses 1 and 2. But what I want to do now is to link it to what I'll call the significance of humankind in verses 3 through 8. Your second major emphasis begins to unfold here. And what I typically find in counseling those that are struggling with the matters of life within the womb and abortion and such things, oftentimes I'm dealing with one who is what I'll call a struggler of significance. This person feels as though they lack significance. Not only do I have to then press upon the person the idea of the significance of the child within the womb, brephos in the Greek, yelad in the Hebrew, though I don't talk that way on the phone. But furthermore, I've got to bear in mind that this person is struggling with a sense of significance as well. Does this person understand they are significant in the eyes of God? That's critically important. They are made in the image of God, even if they're hostile to God at this time. Keep that in mind when you're involved in the conversations in the culture. And so in verse 3, at this point, what you will find is that brilliantly, David and I could see him now in the pastures reflecting upon, upon the sovereignty of God as he looks up into the sky. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, 
which you have set in place. Notice he says, you have set in place. Ever considered the connection between abortion, philosophically, and evolution in the culture? Not practically. The woman coming into a clinic, she's not thinking evolution. But take a step back, and philosophically, have you pondered the connection between the two? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have said place, what is man? You're mindful of him. My mind goes back to Dr. James Krakovic, my professor of physics, and he took us biochemistry majors back in our, in our undergraduate days to an observatory to look into the skies and to be able to examine what was there. He wanted us to understand that there is a designer behind his design. And when you're involved in the critical dialogue of life, somehow you're going to have to move that person from the design to the designer. Oh Lord, our Lord, that's your starting point, even though it might not be theirs. But you've got to bring this relational, sovereign, creative God into the thought processes. Isaac Newton had an exact replica of the solar system made in miniature, and at its center was a large golden ball representing the sun revolving around its smaller spheres, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, you know the likes. And one day, Newton was studying the model, and a friend of his, who didn't believe in the creation of calm, dropped in for a visit, and he was looking at the device and watching the scientists made the heavenly bodies moving in their orbits. And the man then says to Newton at this point, that's such an incredible thing. Who made it? You ever have a Newton moment? Classic. Isaac Newton said, nobody. His friend says, nobody? It just happened. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears, they just happened to come together. One of wonders by chance, and they began revolving in their set orbits with perfect timing. And then Newton, we were told, cocked his head to the side. I like that move. Probably raised his eyebrows and half grin on his face. And his friend was exposed. He said, I get it left the room. Look for your Newton moments. Take the person from the design to the designer. Before there was, he was, and he is. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Moses had to grapple with that. There he is out in the wilderness, He's being told by God that he's going to have to impress upon Pharaoh secularists with regard to the fact that there's this singular God calling Israel out. Who, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And there he asked me, what is his name? There you have it. What a beautiful name. What shall I tell them? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He didn't say I was who I was. 
He didn't say, I will be who I will be. He's always in the present. In, your, in the future, he's already in the present. In the past, he's still in the present. Right now, he's in the present. He stands outside of time, yet he breaks into time in an embryonic form, two natures in one person. She's with child. And now you move from astronomy in verse 3 to biology in verse 4. You're with me now. We're, we're science majors today, biology majors, chemistry majors. And so notice now the movements. As you move from astronomy in verse 3 to biology and the philosophical underpinnings of the question being posed here in verse 4, what is man? That you are mindful of him, that God, God is aware. He's involved. He cares. Son of man, notice this, you care for him. Now, if you're involved in these kinds of dilemmas, they got to know you care. If you're going to be talking about matters of pro-life, they got to know you care enough about their life. And they're going to have to know that you're with them if they do give birth. So now you bring in, after you work with Anchor of Hope, you work with, you take it on through into other such spheres, we have to do adoption. Well, we got somebody here to help with that. If we're dealing furthermore with matters of, uh, of foster care, we've got something to do with that. We're being comprehensive as a congregation. We want to be at cutting edge and thinking these things through, you see. We want to be practical in the ways we address the issues of the hour. And so what is man that you, God, are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? There's Teddy Roosevelt. He's on his lawn. He's looking up at the galaxies with a scientist by the name of William Beebe. They're looking at the Andromeda galaxy, the constellation Pegasus. And so as they look, Beebe would say to Roosevelt, there's the spiral galaxy of Andromeda, large as our Milky Way, one of 100 million galaxies. It's 750,000 light years away, consists of 100 billion suns, each one larger than our sun. What do we make of that? Roosevelt responded, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. And so now what you're doing at this point is you're taking the sum total of what life is all about and you're pushing it forward because in the cultural dilemma we find ourselves in where the medical and the legal converge and conflict in sociological perspectives. We need someone who is able to answer the question, says who? Back to the tension of the is and the ought. So you're looking at this person who's on a quest for significance, and you've got to bring sovereignty into significance. You're going to have to connect verses 1 and 2 practically in your conversations with the 3 through 8 of life. So what does God do for that? Look what God does. I want you to notice now in verses 3 down through verse 8, four significant creative acts that are described here in these verses that all connect us to, O Lord, our Lord. The first, look at what follows. 
beginning with verse 5. Number one, you have made him. You have made him. Don't overlook that. There is a distinctiveness and yet a connectiveness to this all. There's a significance and there's sovereignty in this. God made him. And now here's the significance that the person needs to understand. A little lower than the heavenly beings. And now what you have done at this point, you have now connected astronomy to biology. I'm sitting in my office in New England. A couple from a different, a different town come walking in. It was a regional church. They sit down in my office. They own an orchard. I was about ready to leave New England to head to Pennsylvania. Gone through building programs. I was a little weary at that point. I want to take a little break in the action. Hopefully don't have to do another building program at that moment. And then they look at me and say, could we start a crisis pregnancy center? And would you get us going and show us how? We did. And now it's a very strategic center in the very heart of Connecticut, having high impact for God's glory. Because these two people on their orchard one night looked up into the skies and said, if God could design that, God designed that one in the womb. We've got to do something about this. These were not medical personnel. These were orchard owners. Work with the dirt. And yet they were so burdened to make a difference. Are you burdened to make a difference? And so notice now, we began with this whole idea, how majestic is your name in all the earth, majesty. Notice then the connection to verse 5, because the second creative act crowned him, you and me, crowned with glory and honor. In other words, now how majestic is your name in verse 1. And yet here in verse 5, we are being crowned. That one within the womb is being crowned. The one within the womb is king of kings, lord of lords. And so there's the wise men from the east wondering, where's this one born? King of the Jews. Majesty. Worship his majesty. And so now he carries the astronomy into the biology. He carries the majesty of what I will call sovereignty into the majesty of what I call significance. But there is majesty here in humanity that is derived from, delegated by God, you see. But it is rooted in what God has done. The parent is not the source of life. The parent is the means of life. The parent has got to deal with the moods of the child through the years growing up, where at various points in time that child's going to lack feelings of significance. Take them to this. Connect sovereignty with significance. If you're struggling at work and you feel so overlooked or overwhelmed, here's a sense of significance. He cares about you. He knows you. He's crowned you. So number one, he made you. Number two, he crowned you. Now you're up to verse six. Thirdly, you, speaking of God, 
have given him, speaking of us, dominion over the works of your hands. Now you're on at this point to the fact that in the Garden of Eden, Adam was being given dominion with his responsibilities and his work. And so you're giving these people now a sense of connectedness between significance and sovereignty, which is critical because so many people lack that connection. Reading an article, one of the major issues in the Hispanic community right now, Hispanic women and their unborn babies account for more than 25% of all abortions in the United States. But you're tracking with me. You've got to be politically aware. You've got to be culturally informed. You've got to be furthermore on top of it theologically and understand the basic nuances of all these things. There is a movement in California. It's called the Pro Vida Hispanic Movement. They've developed slogans, living pro vida. And so now, if you're dealing with Hispanic people that are struggling with this and a sense of significance and displacement, look this movement up in California, the Pro Vida movement, and lead them to this fourth of the four creative statements about God. You have put all things, not some things, under his feet. And so now, in this whole issue of ethics, the real issue is not one of sexuality, No, the real issue, you see, is one of authority. But our authority is delegated authority. God has ultimate authority. It's derived in him and delegated to us. The abortionist, like the Gosnell of DVD, he does not have ultimate authority. And Francis Collins, likewise, in his brilliant analysis upon matters pertaining to genetics, says genetics should be about Ending suffering should not be about ending lives. Take a deep breath. You have now spotted the four significant acts of significance that God has given you and given me on the basis of his sovereignty. And then shades of Genesis still, where you go on to say, and here's Adam, and he's, and he's making distinctions as well as connections. All sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And at this point then, as I'm thinking about this, and where somebody else would call into my radio station, so you're just imposing morality. And I respond, have you considered the fact that Every law that exists is the imposition of morality. The question is, whose morality is being imposed? Believers have got to stay involved with the culture. So there now, poetically, and yet here we see environmentally, all sheep and oxen, all the soul, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And as I'm coming down the streets off of I-43, I look at a bumper sticker, and it reads, pro-choice, pro-environment. And I pull off, and I open my Bible to get my bearings once again. And because we need a theology of biology... And we need a theology of ecology. And we need a theology of the environment. And then I think back to my professor of ethics, 
Dr. Harold O.J. Brown. With regard to the morality and with regard to the matters of the fetus, it's not enough to say we are not sure it's not human, that it is human. Let me say it again. It is not enough to say we are not sure it is human. We must be able to say we are sure it is not human. If a hunter were to see movement in a bush and shoot at it, it would not be enough for him to say he was not sure it was not another hunter. He would have to be able to say he was sure it was not. What we find here when we connect theology to all of life and the various sciences and the various aspects of the conversations in our culture, you pull it together and now you're on to your third and your final emphasis. And the thirdly, notice with me not only the sovereignty of God and the significance of humankind, but thirdly, the summary of majesty. Notice how it ends. It ends as it begins. It began, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It ends in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I see that, and my mind goes back to a conversation I have, a cup of coffee in hand, sitting with my father, a scientist, at the, at the dinner table. And I just say, hey, Dad, when you're involved in your medical innovations and getting your patents and so on, what was your approach? Where did you be How did you begin? And he said, Gary, I always began with the end in mind. Did you notice the beginning and the end are the same? He ends as he begins and he begins as he ends. You begin with authority, you end with authority. And the big issue of the hour within our culture is the who says question. Who has the authority to determine life? You gotta be able to answer that. Do it wisely, do it relationally, do it effectively and bring thee, O Lord, our Lord, into the practical dialogues you experience daily. Let's stand together. So now, Father, we thank you for these moments you give us to be together. And we gather on Sunday morning to scatter through the week. And we've got responsibilities, each and every one of us. We are culturally responsible. More importantly, we are responsible to you. Help us now to take the principles that are found here, apply them to everyday issues that we face, and may this congregation be effectively used by you to make a difference for your glory. The one within the womb of Mary was a child. And that child died for our sins. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.